On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll be joined by Cleveland Browns wide receiver Jarvis Landry, who talks about what Cleveland's first win of the season meant to his city and looks ahead to what it'll be like working with the new starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Plus, we'll be joined by Michael Lombardi, the former Browns, Patriots, and Raiders executive who's just written a book, Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. And we'll get our weekly NFL preview from NFL stats maven Evan Kaplan. But first, Jarvis Landry. So Jarvis, you spent the first four years of your career in Miami and the last one in Cleveland. But can you tell us what it was like for that city and that franchise to finally break through and win a game? It was an amazing feeling. You know, one that I, you know, I didn't think that I truly, you know, un- un- understood, but, you know, um, you know, coming into this and, and being part of this culture, just understanding that how, how, for how long and how bad, you know, this, this city deserves a winning team and, um, it's a really good feeling. What did it mean to the city to have that team win the game? Uh, it meant everything. It meant everything. I think the streets probably still crowded, man. It's, it's still probably flooded, uh, with the coolers open. So, um, you know, it was a good feeling. <laughs> Did you find Budweiser cans strewn throughout the streets of the city or what? Right, right, right. Who would have ever thought? <laughs> Did that actually happen? That actually happened. They were all over the place? All over the place. Handing them out. It was crazy. Take me through the summer, if you don't mind, how much Hard Knocks changed and raised your profile. You became something of a cult hero for the speech that you gave for the blessing expression that you use in the football field. How much do you feel like that raised your profile with Hard Knocks did with you this past summer? I mean, I think it did, you know, but for the most part, honestly, man, I was just, I really was just in a moment, you know, just in a moment with, with, with his team, with his organization that, you know, they were able to capture it. And, um, and I could say it helped, I guess, in a little bit, you know, in a way of getting it around the world. The blessing expression, where did that come from? Honestly, just understanding the potential that we have. I was sitting in the hotel one night just watching film after one of the practices. And I don't think the ball touched the ground in like two or three days. And I'm just like, you know, God gave us this ability to, to, to literally be a blessing, you know, to, to, to other people, to yourself, whatever it is. And, you know, that's what a blessing just came from. You know, just using your ability, the God given ability that you have, to, you know, for others. It's all the same. But you never used that expression before you got to Cleveland? Nope, never did. Wow. I thought it was something that you might have just said at LSU or in Miami. So this is the first time. Now, do you get strangers on the street that will say that to you as you're passing by? Because it seems like whenever you're on Twitter, whenever there's a Jarvis Landry reference, people say, bless him. Yeah, nobody even calls me just anymore. I'm I'm walking, everybody's just like, bless him, bless him. (laughs) (laughs) So... I guess that's my name now, too. So Let me give you a little business idea here, Jarvis. You should <laughs> you should trademark that and make T-shirts, hats, mugs, everything. Have I'm you, on it, baby. I'm you, on it. You have, count on that. You know that. Well, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Now that I gave you the idea, do I get like 1% of this? I got, <laughs> I'll bankroll it, too. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. No, but yeah, I, I can throw something in there for you. Okay, good, because you need to do that. Like, you need to hang up the phone from this podcast and go trademark that right away. Mm-hmm. There's big business there. Big. Big business. You're right. Let's get it done. You know, listen, if somebody could trademark business is booming and 
Somebody could trademark Fitzmagic down in Miami like Minka Fitzpatrick did, stealing it from Ryan Fitzpatrick. you got to get blessing before somebody pounces on this. That's true. Now, this week, your team named Baker Mayfield, its new starting quarterback. What have you seen from Baker in practice, and what are we going to see from him when he takes the field on Sunday? I mean, just the same things that, you know, we've all consistently seen. You know, he's consistently growing. Um, he's getting the ball out of his hands as fast as anybody, you know. Um, and it's pushing us, you know, obviously as receivers, you know, even just working out there today, just having an opportunity to do routes on air with him and actually catch balls from him. You know, you got to get your eyes around because the ball is coming, you know. And it's something that, you know, he that makes him special. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to see that from him. Now, when he came into the game last Thursday night, it seemed like there was a certain energy that went through that stadium, a certain jolt. And I've always been a big Tyrod Taylor fan, but how do you describe how Baker brings that energy to this huddle and this team? It's tough to describe it. You know, um, obviously when you get a player of that caliber, you know, and and with the, you know, high expectations, because, you know, the expectation for him is really high. And he comes and performs, you know, down 14 nothing. You know, that's huge. So, um, you know, just feeding off his energy and, and, and his charisma is something that we all got to do as a team and, and rally behind. But it's not like we're imagining that, correct? Like, could you feel that on the field when he comes in, that it's different? Um, I mean, you know, I'm a passionate guy, and I always play with passion. You know, obviously having somebody back there that's going to get the rock to us, you know, is, is something that any receiver wants and it makes any receiver excited, you know. Um, so now it's about moving forward, trying to move forward and move past this past week and go out to Oakland and get another one done. Where does that passion that you talk about, where does that come from? I love what I do. I love what I do so much, and, you know, and I could have been anywhere else in the world, you know, and I'm right here playing a game that I love, and I think that that just comes out, you know, all the hard work and preparation that I put in to have an opportunity to let it pay off on, on game day is something that I live for. When you say that you love it, your voice sort of melts. Like you could hear how much you love it. What, what, I love it, man. You, you you always have? Always have, Jarvis? Always have. I just love competing, period. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I don't know, playing baseball, basketball. Some I was going to figure it out in some, in some sport. You know, I, got a, I got a funny story for you. When you were in college, your last year there, I remember talking to a pro personnel director, and I don't watch a lot of college football, but the pro personnel director was telling me about the upcoming draft that April, and he said, I'm telling you right now, the two best wide receivers in this draft, you could talk about Sammy Watkins, you could talk about Mike Evans, but the two best wide receivers in this draft, both are from LSU, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Now, again, I didn't really know you guys as well as I know, and we all know you now, but he said that at that point in time. Did you know when you were playing with Odell Beckham Jr. that you guys were capable of all the things that you've gone on to do at the NFL level? Absolutely. Absolutely. Real coach well. Obviously, we had a lot of talent, you know, and we both love what we do. Again, I'll go back to that, you know, and I think that that whole process of going to LSU, it gets you so ready. Coach Frank Wilson, Adam Henry, who was my receiver coach here, who was also Odell's receiver coach uh, these past years in New York, it's just something that, you know, you can't make up, you know, and we were ready for this moment, and, you know, we've just been embracing it. What would he say, Adam Henry, is the biggest difference in your game from the time he coached you at LSU to the time he coaches you now in Cleveland? Probably as consistent as possible with 
You know, I mean, it, it's not too much change. You know, I mean, obviously I've grown in areas and I've improved in a lot of in a lot of ways, but you know, I'm still making the same plays. You know, and you know, doing a lot of the blocking stuff that he likes to see, um, and and using my intellect also, my IQ on the field. You know, which all the things that he loves. Jarvis, what motivates you now? You talked about your passion for the game, how much you love it, but what motivates you? My family, you know, my family, my daughter, um, just, just, you know, just being an example, you know, for her and just, you know, taking advantage of every opportunity that I get in the moment. That's been the biggest thing for me, just understanding where I'm at in my life and in my position in my career and, you know, just not taking it for granted. Your family's at every game that you play? Yes, sir. Now, I know they were there on Thursday night when you won that game because I saw your mom giving J.R. Smith some lessons about wearing a shirt or not wearing a shirt. What was that about? Yeah, they're in the suite, and, uh, you know, uh, after the game, they took a picture, and, you know, he said he was doing shirt off if we won, so he did it, and uh, Randy, he was with my mom. How did he get to be in the suite with your family? How did that come to be? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. He's J.R. Smith. He gets to do what he wants, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You'll have to ask Jr. the next time you see him, what was the most memorable round of golf he played? Because I got to play with him and Ricky Fowler a couple of years ago. And you talk about uh, pressure. I got a great story for you there, actually. They call us to the tee of a pro-am, and they say, now Ricky Fowler, and he tees off 330 yards down the fairway. Now Jr. Smith, and he's an unbelievable golfer. Just hits a crushing drive, 300 yards straight. Now Adam Schefter, in front of the gallery, hit a dribbler 12 feet to my left. The most embarrassing oh, humiliating wow. moment of my life, Jarvis. <laughs> it was awful. No, did he take his shirt off? Uh, he, no, he kept his shirt on the course that day. But let me tell you this. He is a great golfer, and he loves it. He's a great golfer. I'm going to have to take him up on that. You're going to need him to come through for the Cleveland Cavaliers this year. Yeah, absolutely. He will, and he will. Here's my last question for you today. I don't know how much your attention you're paying to Miami, but you're there in Cleveland. You finally won a game. You got a big game here against the Raiders. The Miami Dolphins are unbeaten going into New England on Sunday. Have you followed what's gone on in Miami since you left, or are you so busy doing your own thing that you haven't had time to pay attention? Um, I haven't. I haven't really paid much attention, but you know, obviously, you know, um, there are only a couple uh, undefeated teams, and keep it going. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Really appreciate it. Continued success. For you and with your new quarterback, and go get that blessing trademark right now. <laughs> you got it, baby. Thank you, man. We'll be back in a moment with author Michael Lombardi. But first, I want to tell you about Hotel Tonight. If you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you've got to use Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists of hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels you actually want to stay at. And even though the name's Hotel Tonight... You can book in advance, not just at the last minute. It's perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place at the pool, and more. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Michael? Hello there, Adam. Let's tell people a little bit about your new book, Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. And before you even share your thoughts on that, for those who don't know, Michael started in San Francisco working under Bill Walsh. He later worked under Al Davis, and it's fair to say you worked underneath Al Davis, right, Michael? 
everybody was underneath Al Davis. There's no doubt. That, that, there's no doubt, which is a good thing. And then you worked for Bill Belichick in New England. And so when we look at the history of football and we look at the greatest minds to ever walk the face of this earth and inhabit this planet, you worked directly with three of the guys that would be, I think, like on a Mount Rushmore of football. And so you put this together in your new book, Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. What made you want to do this, Michael? You know, when I was at the Raiders, and I think you can remember that time there when we hired Art Shell, I kind of knew it wasn't going to go well. And I went home that night after we did, and I said, you know, two things are going to happen to my wife. I said, either we're going to, if, if Art Shell's successful, we'll be here uh, forever. If he doesn't win, we're going to get fired. And she said, well, why is that? You, you, you didn't think that that was the right hire for the right time. And I said, well, he's never going to be able to look at me if I was right, and he would only look at me if I was wrong. And so naturally we lost, and I got fired. And so I took a writing course in San Francisco because I, I, I've, you know, I had good experience working with Belichick in Cleveland. I had experience with Bill Walsh and I wanted to learn how to write. I thought there would be a good stories. And I wanted to write the story about the bill of rights, which was the bills of rights being in working for Belichick and, and Walsh. And I've always tinkered with that. And then finally, when I got done in new England, uh, this last time at my age, I felt like this was the right time to write the book. How much did you go by memory and how much did you go by reporting fresh reporting that you had done for this book? Well, you know, a little bit. Well, look, the greatest thing that I've ever had in my life has been the invention of OneNote, right? So OneNote's a combination of Excel and word processing all in one file. So you could keep this notebook basically around with you. And and I got onto OneNote and I started writing down all the things. Memory served me well during the 49er time because there were no computers back then. But the 86 draft, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, talking to Bill in the car, I remember like it was yesterday. So I did rely on, on memory a lot, but uh, also I had the ability, you know, working two years, basically three years in New England, I had a lot of one-note files from my time there, and then, of course, with Cleveland, I knew a lot about that. Now, people will read plenty in the book about the football minds of Bill Walsh and Al Davis and Bill Belichick, but when I ask you about each of these men, what comes to mind when I ask you about them as the men that they are, Michael? All three of them are are passionate about football. I mean, football was everything. You know, Al woke up in the morning, he thought about football. Uh, Bill was all about football organizations, how to become better. You know, they were obsessed. They were obsessed. And and success rarely, on any level, uh, altered their quest for more success. They, They, You know, I often said in New England there was no mantles for trophies because Belichick was always about the next one. And the next one. And Brady's the same way. And Bill Walsh was exactly the same way. And so there were different periods of time when each man were successful. Al in the 60s, 70s, and to a degree in, through the 80s. And then, you know, Walsh in the, in the 80s and 90s. And, of course, Belichick in the late in 2000s and in this century. So it's been different periods of football. And they've all adjusted and been able to understand what it takes to be successful. But their passion for football is remarkable. How much do you think about Bill Walsh and Al Davis today? Both are gone from this earth, but how much do you think about them and what they taught you on an everyday basis? You know, I don't think a day goes by where I don't think to myself something about Al or something about Bill. Bill, Bill, more than ever. You know, as you have, you know, you have parents in your life, and they they may not be with you now. You can still hear your mother telling you things, even when you're 59 years old. Uh, you know, don't do this, or you know, think about that. And that's kind of what Bill Walsh was for me. 
And as I watch the game of football more and more, and I study the game of football today, his his words come back. And game management. I mean, Al Davis was obsessed with game management. If Al Davis would have saw what Dirk Cotter did at the end of the half last night, which ultimately cost him the game, he would have been incensed by that. So you're always watching a game, you're thinking game management. And Belichick, you know, just for him, it's always about how to see things. And I talk about this in the book. It's called false duality. Most people see things as A or B, when in reality the great ones see C, D, and E. And Belichick is always looking at a problem and being able to see it in five dimensions as opposed to two. Now, Bill Belichick wrote the forward to your book. What did that mean to you, to have him do that? Uh, It meant everything to me. It was the greatest. You know, we've had a great friendship since 1991, and it's continued on today. And to me, that was, you know, I asked him to do it, and he he was willing to do it. And for him to to put on paper and in his words, because as you know, he's a very private man, and he doesn't usually express himself publicly to the media and all that. And I think to me it was a... It was a symbolic of our friendship, and it was, to me, a tremendous gesture that I am forever grateful. Now, how did you get the idea to put this all into one book, Michael? You mentioned the Bill of Rights with Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick, but how did Al Davis enter into this to where it became the package that it did? Well, I think the, uh, you know, I, I, when, I, when I was getting ready to leave the Raiders, I, I was friends with Michael Lewis, he, the writer. He lived in my neighborhood in Berkeley, up in the hills, and we would always meet. Uh, often for lunch, and, and he would share stories and kind of got started. I introduced him to Jim Schwartz, and that's kind of where he got the money ball thing going. And, and then we talked about Nick Saban and the blind side and all that stuff. And he said, you got to go back and meet my publisher and write a book about Al Davis. And I did, and I met his publisher, and, and I started sharing some of those stories. And the guy's like, nah, you can't really – Nobody's really going to believe this in this context because there were some strange things that happened inside the Raider building at times. And uh, and so I felt like it should be, you know, I was going to have to inter- intertwine Al's stories more into a book that was conducive to what the other stories I was telling. So that's how he became a prominent figure in the book. I actually really wanted to just write a book about Al, and, and I think it's better off this way. <laughs> and what did Michael Lewis think of the final project? You know, I, I talked, I sent him a copy of the book. I think he's, I have not talked to him since he's read it, so I haven't really been able to talk to him about it. But Michael's a huge sports fan, and a lot of the characters in the book Michael had knows from Nick Saban to Jim Schwartz to, to Belichick and all that. So it'll be interesting to see what his feedback is. Michael, you mentioned taking a writing class in San Francisco, and I don't know how many people actually care about this, but I'm curious. What was the biggest thing that you took out of that writing class in San Francisco when you took it? Adam, I, there were 15 people in the class. I was the only male in the class. <laughs> wow. It was hilarious. Yeah, it, it, and and it was it, it was I took away from it to really that that not to be to be direct but also to paint the picture better. And I think that was the most important thing is to try to get set the scenery and I, I and I hope I accomplished that in this book. You know, when I talk about the opening in the opening chapter, to me that opening chapter was very reticent of my writing class. Hmm. Set the stage, talk about some things. You know, when I talk about Bill Walsh's pencils in the book, you know, most people wouldn't care that he used to write with these little pencils, but it adds detail to your your knowledge of the man. And I think it was started in that class. Michael, books are enormous undertakings. They are just grueling projects. What for you was the most challenging part of putting together Gridiron Genius? 
I think the outline, you know, the outline was the hardest part for me. And I wanted to, you know, I'm obsessed with Robert Caro, who's written five books in his entire life. He's in his mid-80s. He's written one book on Robert Moses called The Power Brokers. And then he's written four volumes on Lyndon Johnson. And and, and I'm obsessed with him. And I would study anything on C-SPAN or book notes. And I would, and he was obsessed with the outline. And he's, and he has the outline of all his books up on the wall in his office in the Fist Building in New York City. And the outline, you can see it. And he convinced me to spend time and time again on the outline and also to write in one paragraph what essentially the book is about. Mm -hmm. And always read that paragraph every morning before you come in to write. Outlines are tough. See, you're relying on an outline and having completed a book myself there was no outline at all it was just all over the place right. and kind of put it together as you went along and as a longtime writer I, I rarely have relied on an outline to write so I find it interesting that you have found an outline to be so helpful to you yeah it really was I mean I you know when I first started out it was the bill of rights so I wanted 10 chapters and one chapter was going to be on Belichick one on Walsh and you know kind of revert go back and forth five on each but so what I decided to do was just to, to really to, to intertwine everybody in my life into the book. I needed to kind of come up with certain different chapters, and that's kind of what I did. And, and as it got to the end of the book, I was having fun with it. I really was. And the outline helped me every morning to come in. And, you know, I wasn't concerned about, as I'm sure you you know, you know are, because you're a, a professional writer. You, you talk about how many words per day. I wasn't as concerned about that. I was concerned about making sure the outline was getting completed every single day. For those who have not read it yet, Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL, a great new book from Michael Lombardi that details his work with three of the greatest minds that have ever walked the face of the earth in the NFL, Bill Walsh of the 49ers, Al Davis of the Raiders, Bill Belichick of the Patriots. Mike, I want to ask you to give your thoughts, share your thoughts on where each of those teams are today, starting with the 49ers. Well, I think the 49ers are going to struggle. Losing Jimmy G hurts. Their, the roster is not quite where it needs to be yet, and the quarterback was always, as John Madden used to say, the quarterback's the great deodorant for your problems. And I think Jimmy G was able to hold off some of those. I think their defense has not been very good this year at all. You know, they rely on three number one picks, Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, and Buckner. And those three players haven't dominated to where you think three defensive linemen that you pick that high in the draft should. And so that's affected their defense. And Reuben Foster last week probably missed more tackles than he made in the game. So I think the Niners, now that they go to C.J. Beathard, are going to struggle. And, and they've lost two high-priced free agents, the running back McKinnon, and then, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo to injury. So it's an unfortunate. I love Kyle Shanahan as a coach. I think Kyle Shanahan is a bright, bright coach. I think he's outstanding. I think they have a bright future. I think this is going to be a hard job. New England, to me, is a team that's in transition in the sense that they've lost three really good players on offense. You know, Brandon Cooks they traded, Danny Amendola signed in Miami, and Deion Lewis signed there. And those three guys were 33% of their offense last year. And they haven't replaced either one of the three. And I think that's affected Tom Brady. And this has always been a team that's one with offense, not defense. And their defense is liability, lacking speed on defense, lacking the ability to turn a five-yard gain into a three-yard gain or stop it at five, those five-yard gains in New England become 12 or 15 because their speed lacks on defense. And so I think because their offense can't carry them, 
they've not looked like a very good team. Now, maybe Josh Gordon can replace Brandon Cooks on the outside. They tried to sign Kenny Britt. That didn't work. They tried Jordan Matthews. That didn't work. Maybe Josh Gordon can have that magic back. They need to figure out who's going to replace Deion Lewis. So far, it hasn't been Sonny Michelle. So I think that's where they're, they're challenged. Belichick is such a great coach. He'll figure something out, and they'll certainly play better. And then I think Oakland is an interesting team. John comes back. Uh, you know, John has not really changed much of what he's done offensively. It's still the same John. You know, they've had chances to win each of the three games that they've played so far this year and not been able to close it out. I think John's got to change. You know, John is the general manager and the head coach of the team. I know Reggie McKenzie carries the title. But he got the torch passed to him. When you get $100 million for 10 years, you're the king of all kings. Yep. And so he's got to see this game from a 35,000-feet level like Belichick does and operate it more so as a head coach than just the offensive coordinator. And I think the Raiders last week in Miami really messed up some game management situations. I mean, Al would have been furious with that product on the field. Fourth and one, give it to Keith Smith on the one-yard line. That wasn't going to work. You know, a big key play in the red zone, trying to throw the ball to Martavius Bryant against Xavier Howard. You know, interception there, two red over turnovers, two for five in the red area. You know, that's not really playing smart, and I think that's what the Raiders have to try to improve on. Hmm. Interesting thoughts there. All right, one more time. Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. Michael Lombardi's great new book with a thorough look at Bill Walsh, Al Davis, and Bill Belichick, men that he's worked directly with and for. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about the book, Michael? Anything else a reader should know? I think if you're if you're a high school coach, you listen to this podcast. If you're in any sport, this book is really about culture. It's about building how you build your team, and it doesn't have to be in football. It has to be in any sport. And it, if you're running a chess club and you want to create a team atmosphere and you want great culture, this book's for you. Michael, I really appreciate you joining us today. Congratulations on the book, and lots of luck for continued success of it. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you having me. Just don't pass my book, okay? Uh, I won't. I probably, I'm, I'm so far down the list, I won't. Don't worry, Adam. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. We'll be back with ESPN NFL researcher Evan Kaplan in a moment, but first a word from ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Using your relatives to fill in at work while you look for staff. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Cap hit. All right, Evan, so we had Jarvis Landry on earlier in this podcast, and we heard the news on Monday that Baker Mayfield will be making his first NFL start on Sunday against the Raiders. How do you break that down? Based on the recent trend, he'll be trying to reverse it based on number one overall picks in their first career start. The last 10 quarterbacks picked first overall have lost their initial start in the All NFL. All of them. Last time, the last one to win, actually David Carr for the Texans in 2002, 
Remember that game? Memorable game against the Cowboys. Yeah. The first ever yeah. game, actually, for the Texans. The Sunday night game, I believe. Yeah, it was. Uh, last one to win. So you, you think about Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Eli Manning. They've all lost their first career start. Obviously, we've seen Baker. He led the Browns to a win, but didn't start the game. He'll get his first career start in Oakland uh, in week four. And two other rookie quarterbacks will be on the road this week. Sam Darnold at the Jaguars. Josh Allen at the Packers. Yeah, I found that a little interesting. Both of those teams coming off a loss in the Jaguars and Packers, and now rookie quarterbacks going in there. Uh, kind of tough environment, uh, Lambeau Field and, and all that goes with that, and obviously the Jaguars' defense, one of the best in the NFL that that will, will be tasked with slowing down Darnold and the Jets. Another quarterback from the state of Texas, similar area, Drew Brees. He set the completion record this past weekend mm-hmm. against the Atlanta Falcons. No other quarterback in NFL history has ever completed more passes. There's going to be an assault on the record book this year from Drew Brees that's going to be very memorable. What he's done is incredible. How do you put into words what Drew Brees has done, and how do we quantify that, Evan? Well, you look and he's thrown for more than 1,000 yards in three games at his age, which is, which is really remarkable. And we thought, projecting before the season, that, that he would be in line to break Peyton Manning's passing yard record week five, week six. Well, he's got a chance to do it now in week four against the Giants. Uh, 418 yards away from breaking Peyton's all-time record. And you think, well, that's a lot of yards. Well, Drew Brees, he's done that 13 times in his career, most in NFL history. Um, he's also four touchdown passes away from 500 in his career. <laughs> so as you said, the the records are going to keep falling uh, for, for Brees. I wonder if he'll continue to throw the football quite as much once Mark Ingram returns from suspension. It's almost as if they have nobody that they can rely on in the run game now, and Drew Brees' short passing game has to be the run game. And when Ingram comes back, you wonder if there'll be some tail-off. Not much, but some. Absolutely. And and like you said, you look at Kamara, and, and they're using him in the short passing game. I mean, 15 receptions, and those are essentially acting like their runs. And, and you look at Drew Brees running the ball, too. I mean, two rushing touchdowns. For Breeze, including the game winner, so he, he's getting it done in every which way. Now, the hottest quarterback in football, I would argue, probably is Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback. He continues yep. to break records at an unprecedented rate. How would you describe what is going on in Kansas City with Mr. Mahomes? Well, we know about the records and 13 touchdown passes, and he's now will be closing in next week on the most touchdown passes ever through a team's first four games. He will need three to tie Peyton Manning back in 2013, and it's fitting that the Chiefs play in Denver. Peyton was on the Broncos in that record-setting 2013 season. But I think the most remarkable part to me about what Mahomes is doing is how much he's spreading the ball around. He has thrown these 13 touchdown passes to nine different players. Nine different Chiefs already have a touchdown catch this season. In 16 games last season, there were only seven Chiefs to catch a touchdown. So you think about, I mean, their acquisitions from Sammy Watkins and, and Tyreek Hill's there, Kareem Hunt, he's gotten fullbacks involved, tight ends. Uh, the, it just shows you how multifaceted the Chiefs offense under Andy Reid has been. And that will be the second straight week that ESPN has a, I would call a marquee Monday night matchup with the Bucks and Steelers this past week. And now upcoming the Chiefs and Broncos on Monday night in Denver. So there's a big matchup with Patrick Mahomes continuing his assault. Right, and as we project ahead, if Breeze, going back to the Saints, doesn't break that passing yards record in Week 4, Week 5, 
Saints on Monday Night Football. So it could be could be three in a row uh, with some big time quarterbacks. Now, one quarterback who struggled so far early on, to the surprise of many, has been the Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. They have lost two straight road games at Jacksonville, at Detroit, but come home this week to play the what I would call resurgent Miami Dolphins. What has Tom Brady done at home in spots like this in the past, Evan, coming off two losses? Well, we look at these numbers, Brady at home in divisional games, and it, it's really hard to believe. So he is 27-1 and one in his last <laughs> 28 home games against the AFC East. But when you look a little deeper, the one loss was in a Week 17 game back in 2014 when the Patriots already had everything wrapped up. And he didn't play. He only played the first half. Oh, played the first, first half. half. So he gets credit for the loss, but he didn't even play the whole game. So you look at the last time Tom Brady lost a home game against the AFC East when he played the entire thing was in week 10 of the 2006 season, almost 12 years ago, against the Jets. So, look, the Patriots, obviously, Sunday night against the Lions, the offense did not look great, 10 points, but coming home, divisional game, that might be the remedy, but uh, we'll see going forward. Evan, it should be another great week of football. I appreciate you joining us on another Adam Schefter podcast to preview week four, and we'll talk to you in week five. Looking forward to it, Adam. Thanks, Evan. And so there we go. Another week of the Adam Schefter podcast as we get ready for week four in the NFL. Special thanks to Jarvis Landry for taking some time from his busy schedule. My friend and colleague, Michael Lombardi, who's written a great new book, Gridiron Genius, masterclass in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. And of course, Evan Kaplan, our weekly guest who gives us a preview of the upcoming week. That's a wrap for this week, everybody. Join us again next week. Thanks for listening to the Adam Schefter Podcast.